What's cracking, lovely people? It's Big Feed Up HQ podcast. If you're a new listener, dive into episodes I release on a Friday. They're kind of shorter, sharper nutrition, lifestyle kind of uh, information you can take into the weekend. And then on a Monday, I usually release a bit more of a chatty show with a guest. We'll have someone on if they've started a company or if they're pursuing something interesting. But anyway, today I've got Dr. John Sykes on the show and he is a GP working in the NHS. He's got a passion for lifestyle medicine. We're going to find out about what that means as well, lifestyle medicine in general. And yeah, I just want to dive over and, and let you introduce yourself, mate, and um, talk about what you're doing in that space. Great. Yeah, cheers, Matt. Thanks for having me um, on the podcast. Um, so yeah, I'm a GP working in the NHS, and I've got this kind of thing in the background of this lifestyle medicine stuff. Um, so the main reason why I'm so passionate about the lifestyle medicine stuff is because as a GP, so much of the stuff that I see day to day is related to lifestyle issues. It's estimated about 70% of what I see will be due to lifestyle choices. Um, and I've got quite a keen passion to try and help people address those things and optimize lifestyle and help avoid disease. Um, life as a GP can be quite busy at times and kind of fitting everything into the short consults that we have can be tricky. but it's something that I think we need to kind of strive towards in order to kind of reduce and prevent the amount of uh, kind of what we call non-communicable disease and non-communicable disease is essentially disease that you can't catch so it's your um, non-infectious diseases your cancers your diabetes your heart disease your strokes stuff mm-hmm. like that um, and we can do an awful lot in terms of lifestyle change to try and help avoid those things um, obviously it's not all about lifestyle there are other risk factors that we can't control but the ones that we can I think we need to be trying to make more of a push for, and that's kind of why I've got that passion for for lifestyle medicine, which in, incorporates many things. Um, the big reason why I got into it personally was because I was really interested in sport and exercise medicine, mm. and really wanted to be a team doctor for a sports team. Um, and the more and more I looked into it, the more and more I realised that it was the actual exercise component of getting populations active, and the huge benefit that that can bring, which excited me. So. I learned more and more about that and I was always keen on nutrition being a sports person myself Mm. and then the more and more I looked into all of it I looked at how mental health was so important and how much benefit I got when I was studying for my mental health in terms of making sure I was eating right making sure I was exercising regularly Um, and that's kind of all come together in the last couple of years is this new term of lifestyle medicine Mm. which yeah I mean if you'd asked me two years ago I wouldn't even know I don't think many people would know what the term was because essentially it's incorporating all these lifestyle factors I mean I I rattle it down to five but people can argue there are more Mm. but you've got activity nutrition sleep relaxation and this community community is a big one we see in kind of the blue zones which is the areas in the world where people live kind of the, the highest number of population who are over the age of 100 um, they've got this real sense of community looking after each other real sense of mm. yeah making sure that that's an ingrained thing in their environment and I think um, that's one thing that certainly in the current world that we live in in the western world like that's lacking a little bit sometimes we've got social media and that's great and there's some real benefits of that but actually a sense of community where we really muck in and mm. share life together and, and help each other out I think that's that's lacking and just to touch on that, that's something that I see a lot as GP, loneliness, um, whether it be in the elderly populations or the middle-aged populations or even the younger guys, it's a really big issue. Um, so that's one key component of lifestyle medicine, which I think is 
becoming more and more important. So there's five main things, really. Mm. Um, I'm just very keen to kind of help those things be made more um, addressed, essentially. So mm. whether it be an undergraduate education, postgraduate education, those are the kind of roles that I see myself within in the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine mm. um, for one of the directors and one of the trustees and I really hope that we can just push that education message further really. Mm. No, definitely and if we before we move on to that to, to, to the society and, and what you do there if we just kind of sneak back a little and, and you know what you do day in day out as a GP obviously people understand that you know whatever eight, eight to 13 minutes or something and most of the time that that you might see patients obviously you can kind of give me a bit more of an accurate uh, time frame there but how do you integrate what you just talked about there into your day job or is it still you know trying to put out fires and, and, and making sure you tick boxes and do what they need you to do can you maybe explore that for a few minutes? Yeah, definitely. So I think you're right. I think sadly a lot of what we do on the NHS is putting out fires and there will be times when patients will come in to me with a complaint where ultimately it's very difficult for me to be able to address the lifestyle stuff in the time that I've got. As you said, it's about eight to ten minutes and then you've got to factor in reading up on the notes and mm. writing the notes and doing all the paperwork that's involved with you know the next stages of that patient's management, whether it be referrals or ordering blood tests. So it's all quite uh, frantic. Mm. Now, I think um, in terms of the how do you work it in, I think it's a case of working out where people are at. Mm. And that can be quite hard to do in the short period that you've got. But if you're able to assess roughly where people are at, so using skills such as motivational interviewing, then you can work out what stage is this person at. Are they thinking about change? Are they miles away from thinking about change or actually are they at the point of wanting to make some changes? Mm. Um, and, and that's certainly the skill that I've kind of picked up or trying to pick up even more so moving forward because I feel that's where I can work out where someone's at and then just try and give them a few nuggets. I think I'm becoming more and more realistic to the fact that the time limits do make it very hard to you know, come up with a whole lifestyle plan and, sure. and kind of really you know, give a, a really detailed plan, but being able to give simple changes, which can actually make a really big difference. And then following that person up and saying, look, these are, these are big changes to make. It'd be great to see you again to discuss them because ultimately they'd have a, a huge impact for your health. Um, but it's all about working out where they're at, where they're at in terms of their change, and also working out if they've understood the importance of those things in order to benefit their health and their, and their lifestyle. Because I feel sometimes that's not, what people are um, aware of. Mm. Um, I feel a, a really perfect example, which I always talk about, is physical activity. Whenever anybody wants to lose weight, they say, oh, I'm going to start getting active. I'm going to get really more active. Um, and the, the research actually shows us getting active isn't sometimes that great for weight loss. And in fact, you have to do huge amounts of activity mm. in order to, to lose weight. And we may be better thinking about optimizing sleep or optimizing our diet to try and get in more of a you know calorie deficit or you know those are the things that we need to be maybe highlighting more and in the example of physical activity if people's goal is weight loss mm. and then as the studies show us it's quite hard to achieve that and then when they don't achieve it it's completely demoralizing mm. so trying to change the idea of the goal of the lifestyle change is also a very important factor in all this mm. um, I'd love a situation in the future where we had 
dedicated time to address these factors because in terms of preventing disease, reducing disease, and in some cases even reversing disease, these are big things which we need more time to discuss. And if we did have it, I genuinely believe if we had the right clinicians trained up to deliver this advice, we could make massive impacts on the kind of chronic diseases which are currently smashing the NHS in terms of finances. You know, your diabetes is 10% of our budget, mm. yet it's a for type 2 in, you know, just the type 2 cases, which is 95% of diabetes now, which we could make huge differences with if we did address lifestyle factors. Mm. Um, that's not to say it's easy. That's not to say giving the advice is easy. It's not saying following that advice is easy. But we know that support and good advice around nutrition issues can make a massive impact. And I, I personally feel that sometimes we're not doing that in the NHS. Mm, definitely. And I think you nailed it on the head there with having a, a professional point of view, practitioner, doctor like yourself, cutting through things with someone and then obviously giving them you know, really direct advice on ranking what, what, you know, you think will be the most important thing. I think I absolutely love that because like you said, people can get very fixated on the next thing of nutrition or what's, what's being popular and interesting. But then I like there how you, because your time frame is quite limited that, that eight to 10 minutes, you might almost make decisions to be like, right, they could work on X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to pick out this because I think it's going to be the most valuable or the most impactful and I, and I always try and think about that because my uh, I have an hour for my initial consultations um, I, I work part-time company called Nuffield Health and um, I have 45 minutes for follow-up time so it's so much more than you have but then again you know you go over and over conversations but then at the end of the day I try to think like right no more than four or five action points I call them and then it's getting the first two or three at the top of the plan and being like look everything else can just filter in but if you do these things and then I find that that hopefully provides the value why someone's put hand in their pocket to you know maybe work with someone like myself because there's maybe at the moment more time but then also just that don't worry about the eight to ten let's get the one to two to three but then if you're still doing that you know with as many people as you can as well i think that's that's fantastic because people should have access free access to information as well 100 percent. yeah definitely and it's like you said it, it's hitting it's finding the low-lying fruit the yeah. thing that's going to make a big difference hopefully and it's going to require maybe minimal effort and I, i've certainly seen some people who really struggled with certain issues in terms of their lifestyle and when they've told me you know, very briefly, again, certain aspects that they're trying or things they're doing, mm. I realize that some of the things they're putting a huge amount of effort in are not the things which are going to reward them. No. Yet a much easier, simple thing would make a massive difference. And they've come back and just been amazed about how well that change has made in their life. So I think you're completely right. I think it's about kind of getting those one or two wins um, and just trying to isolate them and, and following people up on it. Definitely. And I think... It's interesting going to your, your page because I, I popped onto your Instagram and some of the stuff you do before the show. And I like how you do, you know, you highlight some of the different pillars. So you're talking about Matthew Walker and sleep. Um, you know, you're talking about the kind of mental health side of things. And often if you, you know, people don't tend to maybe explore that straight away. But the rest, the recovery, whatever you want to call it, the rest and digest, people can make huge inroads with that. Whereas I think it's now a bit more popular to to eat a certain way and then really hammer yourself with high intensity training and things to try to like make things better but obviously it just it, yeah. just, it just puts more um stress on the system per se so i do i do like how you you know you really like to try to go over to that recovery side as well and it isn't maybe as sexy but it's 
yeah, anyone can work on those things most of the time. Try to sleep a little bit more, try to rest or breathe a little bit more. A lot of that stuff is, you know, it's free. It's it's easier per se, isn't it, to work on than trying to buy, prep foods, do other things. You know, that takes more time, cost. Definitely. And I think it's only an aspect of the whole lifestyle message that I've really kind of been hitting hard in the last kind of year or so this idea of rest because you look at the research around kind of well-rested people they're just generally healthier they make better decisions in life they make better decisions with food Mm. they make better decisions with exercise even and that's massive like if you can get someone making better decisions more of the time you know that's that's something that's worth investing in so sleep certainly something that I think I invest a lot more time in being when I was at medical school and things it's certainly something I didn't prioritize and looking back I really regret it mm. not only just from the, my own health but also from my ability to learn you know if you read that have you read that book Matthew Walker's book no no it's, um, it's, it's something I definitely need to do obviously listen to the podcast read some of the things about him and um, yeah, yeah it's definitely on the list it's, it's it, it's incredible. It's quite terrifying if you don't sleep well because some mm. of the facts around poor sleep are really quite, you know, scary, really. Yeah. But when the huge impact it has, it really is kind of essential that that is prioritised in someone's life. Mm. Um, and just by simply sleeping better, you can make better decisions with, you know, eating, with day-to-day stuff to minimise risk and even make better decisions at work to an extent where I can't remember some of the facts that he quoted, but mm. they showed the, the studies that looked at fatigued doctors mm. and some of the poor decisions that were made under fatigued doctors. And obviously, I mean, I'm working as a GP now, but when I did shift work, I knew that there were some days I went to work and just felt exhausted. Mm. Now, it makes you really rethink the whole work pattern thing and how much of importance it there should be on kind of making sure that people do sleep well between those shifts. Uh, but I look at it just in my life as a GP. I'm up very early when I do my GP shifts, and there's a long kind of 12-hour day of continual decision making. Mm. So I can't almost prep myself the day before to make sure I, you know, I've eaten well and I've mm. I've got a good in and I feel ready to hit the day the next day because there's just so many decisions that have to be made the next day which require my full attention. Mm. Um, and it's factored into my exercise as well actually. Um, I listen to a lot of the kind of other guys in the lifestyle medicine world but I heard an interview by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee mm-hmm. who about the um, one of his clients, well one of his patients sorry, who uh, was exercising really really hard um, and just finding that they were exhausted all the time and they were doing lots of this kind of high intensity stuff Mm. and they replaced two of their high intensity sessions with yoga sessions which were quite I mean you know yoga is not easy but they sounded like they were more relaxation type kind of yoga sessions yeah Uh, and the person on this I can't remember if it was a podcast or if it was an interview but they essentially were just like it made it's such a massive difference and we know due to cortisol and other things that put stress on the body um, you know that that will be acutely raised in high intensity exercise and actually make sure we don't go down that line and maybe going for a bit more relaxation sessions sometimes might be worth doing and that's something that I sometimes try and do as well because mm. I used to always love smashing myself with the exercise but actually trying to do something a bit more yeah. chilled out that's been really beneficial yeah no 100% um, and I think it's you know it's all with this kind of stuff anyone listening it's n equals one you know try things I've been obviously very vocal about I've been the last couple of years doing a bit more running 
and I've entered um, three ultra marathons coming from playing rugby, which was like a big change. But if I'm honest, you know, I tried to run as little as possible for those races, and I've spent more time in a sauna um, this year than I ever have in my life. And like the recovery side of things and the ability to finish these races, and I know not everyone's going to go and do these things, but I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to walk away from these three races and, and you know, touch would be, be pain-free, injury-free. And I think it was like, um, yeah, it was eye-opening because I really, in my mind, didn't do enough running, but I did more resting. So I kind of, yeah, that, that I think that's something for people to explore. But I know I always go rant on about that kind of side of things. So let's kind of keep it, you know, keep things quite specific today. So, mate, let's dive into, you know, your your role with the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. Obviously, now everyone has the background. It's uh, We could go over and over with tools and technique, techniques around sleep, nutrition. But what I like about what you're doing is that you're... You know, you're you're putting yourself out there as a as as a resource, but you're also bringing other people together because um yeah that's that's how you know you reach more people and then you start to get I suppose you know government and and other like high brow institutes to turn around and be like wait a sec, you know this shouldn't just stay on some some trendy site you know we need to start thinking about this in terms of you know nationally. Definitely, yeah. So we're we're trying to push um lifestyle medicine education in kind of medical schools, but also at a postgraduate level, so for the doctors, um, but also for healthcare professionals in general, like, you know, we're a team at the end of the day, we're a multidisciplinary team, and we need to be working together, so education is kind of key to all of this, um, and we do to, we're, we're doing some um, education in medical schools, we hope to do a lot more. Um, for example, we've got an event coming up in Bristol, which is kind of all around kind of prevention medicine. Um, we had the postgraduate event two weeks ago in London at the Royal College of General Practitioners, which was like one of the first CPD days that we've had. Um, and again, it's just trying to touch all these pillars of lifestyle to try and help people think as a practitioner, mm. how can they apply these things um, because I think we're seeing more and more people who are enthusiastic about this in the healthcare world, um, but more and more are asking, well, how can I actually apply that? I've only got this amount of time, mm. I have got limited resources, and you know, what things can I be doing? So that's really what these sessions are geared at, really trying to help people make small changes to their practice to influence patients' choices around lifestyle. Um, mm. So that's what the, the event was based at last week. If I just dive in so quickly, the, the the one you're doing in Bristol and and what happened in London, who you know who 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 attended or who 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 can attend those kind of things like for the listeners, yeah. just break that down a little bit. Do you, do you need to be yeah. qualified in X or can you turn up to these if you're, you know, not not involved in that as in work? Of course, yeah. So so the British Society lifestyle medicine ones are meant for healthcare practitioners essentially. We've had lots of people attend there who were just interested and intrigued and then we did a nutrition event last May where we had, you know, nutrition therapists, um, personal trainers, mm. people who were just interested in nutrition and, you know, did completely different jobs. And we're, we're open to that idea because we want to be spreading these positive messages. But we do for, kind of gear all our education to healthcare professionals. Yeah. Um, the events in Bristol was for medical students. Um, and so obviously only if you're in the Bristol Medical School you can go to that one. Cool. Uh, but the nice thing about this kind of topic is that there are so many different types of events going on. So Dr. Hazel Wallace, who's um, known on Instagram very well as mm. the uh, food medic, 
she ran the Future for Food conference last weekend um, in London again. And, it, and that was kind of for everyone, really. That was for anyone who was interested in the topic. And it, it touched on uh, the future of food. So it was looking at healthcare food. It was looking at specific aspects of food like pregnancy and the whole fat debate. Um, there was a cooking demo area there as well. And that also looked at the sustainability of food and the impact on our world. So essentially there are events happening for all types of people. Um, and it's just a case of hearing about them when they do come up. But I'd say that most of the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine stuff is geared towards healthcare practitioners just because we need to be pushing that message in the NHS. Mm. And as you say, the exact reason why I was keen to get involved is because I really feel in order to push politicians to make changes, mm. in order to make changes long term in our NHS, we need to be making changes at an undergraduate level in the curriculum so that doctors really know about this and nurses and, and healthcare professionals so that we can drive this message and get people enthusiastic about it. And one of the best things I've, I've found in this is that so many are enthusiastic about it. Mm. We're setting out these conferences, people are asking if they can come even though there isn't room for them. Mm. When we're doing events for students, they're dead keen on it and they're saying how this is you know, some of the best education days they've had. So mm. you really feel there is an enthusiasm there for this but we just need to be kind of pushing for more funding, if we're honest, at a yeah. higher level, because yeah. we need more funding to, to be able to push this further, because ultimately, you know, a lot of it is relying on goodwill, and there's loads of it, because people are so keen on this, but actually, ultimately, if we want to drive this in medical schools properly, we do need extra funding to kind of help that work well. Mm. So do you do you, do you all meet... Um, you know, in, in in a variety of locations, do you do you you know with with the society? Is it is it kind of remote based? You know, are you guys keen on eventually having a space, or do you think it will be like you said, moving around and getting into to different places that provide education? Like, what what would you ideally like it to grow into? So ideally, it would just be a completely national thing, and mm. because we've only been around for kind of a year and a bit now, we've done kind of events in London, Edinburgh got one planned in Cardiff, nice. we're starting to kind of grow our network of ambassadors and of directors. And in the next year, there are going to be a lot more events going on. So we've got events planned in, uh, I think it's Leeds, we've got events planned in Oxford, um, and I'm sure there will be lots of others planned. Mm. Um, a lot of them do happen in London, but we are keen to reach more people, so we are trying to have them nationally. So, you know, the question you asked was, what would you ideally have it? I'd ideally have it so that most cities have a society yeah. in which the, this British Society of Lasta Medicine is pushing education sessions, you know, every so often, once or twice, if not three times a year, and they're a local group pushing locally to get changes um, for that local group of NHS, which is often called a clinical commissioning group or a CCG, mm. and pushing CCG to make changes for lifestyle-related um, issues. That would be the dream. And obviously, if we could get into medical schools more as well, that would be great. There are a few medical schools who are really kind of leading the way with this, Bristol being an example. But there are other medical schools that we really need to tap into. It's a really slow process with medical schools, though. But mm. I think the more and more we grow these societies of, of doctors and of healthcare professionals, which we're doing, then the more and more we'll be able to infiltrate medical schools. 
Well, I think that's it. And it's also the other side of things where, you know, very, very smart, young individuals and, and universities who want to attract those individuals, you know, they're going to eventually have to have that as, as, as a USP too, because people are waking up to that. So I think in a good way, you know, places like Bristol, uh, you know, med- medical students are going to want to go because they have these kind of things that are bolt on. So you hope with that as well, it's something where, you know, universities can use it in, in, in a positive way to be like, look, we're doing this um come here but then eventually if it's everywhere you know then it, it just slots in and becomes part of it and you know everyone everyone can start working towards it that's fantastic hey, good yeah, man. okay so then maybe you know maybe before we we wrap up um i'll obviously put everything into the show notes regarding what you've talked about with the society um, some of the events and links and things like that but you know who do you who do you like to um follow for your for your information or where do you go to 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 read you know nutrition sleep exercise i know it's quite a loaded question and um and also you know recipes things like that for a busy guy for someone who's working active you know you do you like to cook and things and obviously you know prepare your own food what what do you look at on a weekly basis for inspiration um that's a good question i I think I've kind of got into a bit of a set routine with my lifestyle now, knowing that things are quite busy. Mm. Um, and what I'll commonly do is like just find a few recipes from various places of just stuff that's got loads of veg in it, basically. <laughs> and that can be pretty much anywhere. You know, BBC Good Foods are a go-to. Mm. Um, but I've got quite a few friends who've written cookbooks now, and I, I love looking at their books as well. So again, going back to kind of Hazel mm. and then uh, Rupi, who's the, the Doctor's Kitchen, um, mm. But to be honest, any kind of recipe that just looks like it's got loads of like veg and colour in and different kind of flavours, mm. um, and to go for. And what I tend to do is on a Sunday or a Wednesday, so I try and do it twice a week, I'll just prep like a batch of food, mm. put it in loads of like Tupperware, and then kind of pick and mix from different pots um, and whack it into a big pot for my daily bit of food, mm. which will be my lunch. And then I'll have some later when I'll get home from work. Mm. Um, so that's it from a like, nutrition point of view. From an exercise point of view, I normally try and like dedicate time to exercise because I found that in times when I don't do that, then actually that time can just be filled with other things. Mm. So I will set aside which sessions I'm doing that week. And that will be really varied. I'm, I love playing football, so I play football once a week with a team. Oh, yeah, um, cool. I also kind of just got into CrossFit, which I'm rubbish at, but I am gradually trying to increase my flexibility so I can actually do half the lifts that they asked me to do. Yeah. Um, or doesn't always go to plan. <laughs> um, but I love going to the gym, love running. Yeah. And just I, essentially whatever I feel like for the week, I'll book in those sessions and kind of say those are sessions that I'm going to try and keep. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned in terms of the sleep and things, I'll just try and kind of dedicate a bedtime that I'm going to go to bed at to mm. try and ensure that I get enough sleep overall in the week. doesn't always go to plan, but it's something that I'm definitely getting a lot better at and, yeah, hope that it will, yeah, continue to allow me to do all the other things that I'm doing, really. Mm. Cool. No, I, I, I've been starting to ask people that question because I think it's just valuable information because it gives everyone else a bit of an insight to be like, right, look, we're all doing the same thing and we're all trying to, you know, navigate our own our own um you know food prep or exercise or you know sleep routine around life and and i think 
yeah, people see a lot of uh, things online and it's nice in an audio form to to break things down and be honest. And mate, I'm exactly the same, exactly the same. You try and carve out time for training, keep it varied. Um, and then food, you know, try and batch when you can and things like that. It's No, it's nice and honest. I'll link to the good food sites, Fab. Um, and for anyone else listening, I use Waitrose have like a free paper that they, that they chuck out every week. There's some great recipes and things in there. And sometimes on the go, I'm lucky enough to obviously be diving around different places in London. I just pick these things up and I think people often walk past that kind of stuff. And there's always four or five recipes or something new that you can grab yeah. from places like that. So, um no, mate, good man. I really appreciate the the insight into what you're doing, and it's good to get you on the show. And I think you know people listening to this, it's definitely given them something else to think about and start to combine all these things, or just be aware of all the different pillars. And yeah, hopefully you'll um you know if you guys keep doing some some courses and things like that, people can start coming to them. It's really exciting. Cool. Good. Okay. Nice. Well, um, yeah, guys, I will link to everything in the show. John's put out some really good stuff online as well on Instagram. Definitely follow him. I'll link to that. So, mate, is there anything else that that you want the listeners to know? Where can people find out about what you're doing personally, or is there anything you want to tell them before before we finish? Um, so, I suppose the only thing to say would be, yeah. So, I'm I'm on Instagram, which I'll kindly put at the bottom there, um, and that's at Health and Fitness Doctor. Um, there is a website coming, it is a long process and it hasn't quite come out yet, uh, but what I hope to supply with some of that is some information about kind of these kind of different aspects of lifestyle, mm. uh, but also resources because I think having resources to, because um, there's a lot of stuff out there, I think that's one thing I've realised in this and it's exactly as you've just said with the Waitrose thing, there's so much stuff out there, yet a lot of people aren't aware of it or and we're not utilising it. so. Um, I hope to combine a lot of that all together in the website to um, set that up and that's hopefully coming out soon but that's I've been saying that for about a year so hopefully that'll be not another year until that actually happens but we will see fingers crossed cool Um, and thanks for having me on really enjoyed it oh mate good man alright lovely people as always if you like the show share it uh, like it and um, yeah subscribe as well really really good to get everyone listening and I think I'm up near 6,000 people listening to the show which is absolutely fantastic so the goal is to get to 10,000 so if I can keep attracting people like John and having really interesting conversations then you know everyone wins it's an absolute pleasure and thanks again for listening